it's not about perfect projects because things will always go wrong. But if you explain it clearly and here's where the risks are or we're going to be behind, you know, this thing happened, um, you know, this is now what we're doing about it, you know, then you're always going to be in the unlayer football bucket. Welcome to Startup Jobs, a podcast where we explore all the different jobs in a tech startup. What exactly are they and what have we learned from scaling teams from the inside? While most startup content focuses on the founder or investor or specific area like marketing, this show is about accelerating your personal and career growth journey in whatever startup job is best for you. Yeah, exactly, Kai. Like This show is about you. We want you to be the very best that you can be. Hey Mike. Good morning. What's uh what's on your mind today? It's a, it's an early rise for you on a Sunday morning while we're recording this. <laughs> yeah. Um it's a few interesting topics, isn't it? But I mean I thought a good one to kick off this week would be how to be unlayoffable or how to be mm. um so critical to the team and the company that even if they're looking to do reorgs, even if they're looking to um, find some savings and they need to make a heartbreaking, whatever the percentage is, 10, 15%, how do you make sure that you're not uh, in that uh, bucket? And yep. there's a range of things that, in my view, make you unlayoffable, regardless of whether you work for a small startup or even if you work in a large company. I, at one point, was at Microsoft. I think I went through two reorgs while I was there. I was in Blackburn in the early days, probably would have gone through five-ish uh, reorgs. Um, wow. And actually, in one scenario, my role at Microsoft was was technically going to be made redundant, um, but I was not given the redundancy phone call. I had a different phone call, which is, hey, I can't keep you in that seat because we're not going to have that. Here are these seven other options, five other options. Um, I actually really want you to take this thing, which is actually a promotion, um, and so, yeah, how do, you, how do you be in a situation where regardless of small company or large, you are unlayoffable? And, and I guess that, that key point there you, might, you make is even if the role is being made redundant, yes. the person isn't. You, you don't want to be Correct. the person that gets made redundant. Great. So, look, we're going to jump into a couple of reference points to start mm. this off. Um, what kind of spurred this on for us, um, at least today's app, is an article that was in Australian Financial Review um, sort of oh, late last right. week. Um, Scott Farquhar, who's co-CEO um, at Atlassian here in Australia, um, he sort of was was in there talking about how they have this question of, w- would I rehire this person? Um, and uh, and I think that was just like a, a cool way to kind of frame this. You know, if you had someone out in the market tomorrow, um, this person that was already in your organisation, would you rehire them? Mm. Um Netflix sort of, uh, I guess, more historically has a, a great culture doc, which I think you originally got me onto, Mike, back in yeah. back in the day. Um, this this one was was a great one you referenced. They talk about the dream team and and how they sort of say, look, to strengthen our dream team, our managers use a, a keeper test. Yeah. Um, in essence, if a team member was leaving for a similar role at another company, you know, in, initiated by them, would the manager try to keep them? Yes. Um, would you would you try and fight for that person? So yes. with those kind of angles on the sort of founder slash manager sort of mindset front, we thought we'd actually make this episode about how to be one of the employees 
and sort of uh, and how to make yourself unlayoffable. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting, right? Because I think all the content that I've seen around how do you decide, let's say you've got a team of 10 and, you know, the reality is you just, you know, like we're going into a recession. We've talked about wartime mode in startup land yeah. and, and that is across the board. That's not unique to Zipline. Uh, and all the large companies are also going through this, hey, we need to be, uh, efficient. I think Mark Zuckerberg's called 2023 to 2024 the era of efficiency. And at who have famously really gone out there and said, like, I don't know if they said we're not going to do layoffs when the tech downturn started, but they were pretty vocal about, hey, if other people are doing layoffs, like, come to Atlassian, we'll, we'll give you a job. They've sort of been the super friendly human one. Um, as has Canberra and others, and yeah, this this clip, which is an effectively the you know the Australian version of the Wall Street Journal, has yep. um has have these founders saying, oh yeah, actually we are looking to become more efficient, and sort of managers of engineers now to jump on the tools, you know, sort of do less managing, do more coding. I mean, this this came out of Atlassian, um, and they then spoke about that they are making some some trims here and there. And then at this conference, um, they asked them, okay, well, how do you decide, right? Like, how do you decide, um, let's say you've got to lay off 10%, how do you decide who's in that 10% bucket? And then there are these sort of famous rubrics. Yeah, I would say these three are probably the most famous that you just mentioned. The first one is um, effectively the rehire test. Uh, this is what Microsoft used in their annual reviews. Um, it's certainly, you know, <laughs> every, every business coach will ask this question of let's go through your, let's go through your list of the team and who, how many, like, would you in, often the question is phrased as would you re uh, on a scale of 10, how enthusiastically would you rehire this person? Um, uh, interesting. And, and so it's like, oh, 10 out of 10, like I would absolutely rehire this person right now. Um, so that's sort of like one Netflix have a, a, a twist on this, which is, is, takes a different perspective uh, for, it's more of a manager's perspective rather than you know kind of founder or, or top level down view of the entire org or team and the 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 netflix one which i also really like it's called the yeah the t keeper test as you said and the way this would play out is let's say tanmay who leads our product organization if i said hey tanmay i'm not i'm not too sure if you know johnny's gonna make it or Someone else said, hey, I don't know if Johnny's going to be the right fit for this role or we don't need this role. I'm not too sure if, you know, we can use Johnny elsewhere. And then the keeper test basically is does does Tanmay basically start like crawling over broken glass to go, I'm going to do it. No, no, like well, that's, that's one lens. The other lens is Johnny is in a one-on-one -on -one with Tanmay or, you know, with Johnny has a conversation with me that says, hey, I've got, you know, this and this happening. You know, I'm not too sure. Um, you know, I'm not too sure like this role's right for me right now, zipline, or I've had a recruiter call me and offer me this other role. Um, you know, so hey, I wasn't planning on leaving, but I'm thinking of it. Basically, how do you react in that situation? Do you try to move heaven and hell, you know, to keep this person? And so that's and then on a on a keeper test, you know, how high is that? So there, there are a couple of like famous rubrics um that are happening. Um, on the management side to decide if uh, this person is uh, in the bucket of, yeah, in the on, on the keeper side. 
So that's a great example of how a management team would decide that this person passes the keeper test. And then finally, like for us at Zipline, mm. we think about the keeper test and we think about the rehire test. The one that we really anchor on because it is a little bit more scientific in terms of you can sort of put some grading on it and we can also have a conversation with people about it is this whole sort of A player, B player, you know, C player type model. And look, some people are emotionally not a fan of calling people A players and B players. The reality is when you're in school, like no one was offended that some people, you know, get A's or B's in, in, in maths versus English, mm. etc. Uh, what we like about it um, is that it's very clear. And so an A player by definition, just imagine a two by two. So on the horizontal axes, it's um, high performance versus low performance so on the far right. Uh, high performance uh, on, the, on the left it's it's low performance and then on the uh, vertical axes it's high in values or low in values got it um so how how much does this person live to our values um and and competencies as well if you have competencies and and so where you really want to be is in the obviously the top right hand bucket so let's say you were scored eight on performance and 10 on values um you know then you're in the a player um mm. quadrant if you scored uh seven or six on performance but still really high in values you would be an a potential like you'd be on the border you know potentially b uh, and so we're really working on how do we get our b's to a's um now if someone is a high performer but low on values then that's called a toxic A. <laughs> so they're actually really good at their job, but they're bad for the team uh, and the culture. And so toxic A's get managed out. Um, B's and A potentials get coached and give time to be able to get uh, to A's. Uh, and C's are, are going to have like clear performance plans um, pretty early to say, hey, performance is five out of 10. You know, like you're pretty good on values, let's say seven. Um, but you know, we're going to need to get, you know, performance into the seven, eight plus range. And so th that sort of gives us a rubric um, uh, that, that, that we use uh, on our side. But that's sort of like quite specific to performance in a role. What we're talking about is how to be unlayoffable, yep. <laughs> which means that you could potentially be moved around in different roles. And so th there's a range of other things, you know, that we would look for. But I, I think that's maybe just a one one place to just sort of pause to go, okay, that's how management viewed the world of making these decisions. It could be quite interesting now to flip the script, which is, okay, like here are here are the things that you could practically start bringing into how you work, yeah, to make you unlayoffable. What's your what's your reactions there? Yeah, I think the I mean that rubric is is one I've I've seen sort of before here. Um, it was a good reminder of that, um, and I think it, it, as you say, it segues well into even non-role specific, how you stay in a business. One thing that's on on my mind is how you make sure you're not incorrectly optimizing um, when you're sort of thinking about this. Like, how do I make sure people want me in the business, they would rehire me, um, you know, that's the outcome. And then sort of like, I think there's probably a correct and, a, and an incorrect way to sort of work backwards from that. Um, so yeah, I'm keen to hear maybe your thoughts, Mike, on and obviously where we want to see people making themselves unlawfable, unlayoffable, but also mm. potentially where there's like a, uh, a mistakes made with the right intentions uh, in this kind of process as well, um, where things people, yeah, people potentially wrongly optimize. Yeah, great. So 
We're going to talk in another podcast episode about this concept of necessary endings and the seasons in life and sometimes things do need to come to an end and it's maybe uh, not necessarily a negative thing. And so I just finished reading this book. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that in, a, in, a, in, in, in another episode. But in the book they had this concept of um, effectively like high performers and, and what they called wise people. And I think this list actually talks quite well about the attributes of someone who is unlayoffable. Mm. So I might just go through these because these are quite like practical right. things and then we can um, just sort of riff on those. Okay, so the first one is when you give them feedback, they listen, they take it in and you see adjustments in their behavior the weeks and months thereafter. Uh, when you give feedback, they embrace it positively, saying things like, oh, thanks for telling me that, you know, helps me to be across something that I wasn't like already on top of or huh, like that's, you know, a little hard to hear and my emotions are, are firing, but I can see now on reflection I needed to hear this. Um, you know, thanks for, for helping me even if it does mm. hurt. And then they own their own performance. Uh, they own their own problems. They own issues in their world. They take responsibility for them without excuses or blame. Um Relationships often strengthened when giving feedback. Um, they empathize and express concerns uh, about the results, not only for themselves, but for the team and others. Um, and they can see risks in performance um, and, and, and happily bring that to the forefront. They don't allow problems that are being addressed to turn into patterns. Mm. Um, they make the changes, they make the adjustments and they fix them over time. Doesn't mean that those changes will be instantaneous, but they um, are always implementing elements of improvement. And so they're just like a couple, um, like a points that, that, that were in that book, but I, th I thought th there's some good, very practical examples of if someone is executing like that and they're a high performer in a particular role, to be honest, like they're unlayoffable because even if we, I'll just use a, an example, even if we've decided we don't need, you know, phone support anymore and we're just going to do, I don't know, chat support and this person heads up the phone support team, if, if they've been high performance in that role and they've been high on values and they have these traits that I just described here, we're doing everything we can to <laughs> keep this person and find find them a role potentially somewhere else. Yeah, that's... um. That's great. How do you think about the a potential kind of bracket as well on this note? Like, do you think there is in times of of wartime, etc., um, still appetite in a business to keep folks which are sort of really like headed like on that trajectory, or are you sort of saying like pretty much all these things need to be nailed for someone to sort of pass these these keeper or rehire tests? Mm. I suppose it depends a little bit on the business and the situation, right? So like. Let's just take a startup that has a hundred employees. They have taken on a bunch of venture funding, purposely burning a bunch of money to kind of hit a bunch of growth goals, and they're not there. But for them to get to profitability, they have to sort of cut pretty pretty deep. Um, otherwise, they're not going to make it. And let's just say they've got to go from a hundred employees to forty. Let's just say something pretty extreme. Then you could be. Uh, you could be you could be caught up in that where you know hey you are um, a potential you have all these like elements that I just described um, but they literally just need to get two things done uh, as a company and like 
there's sort of no home where you can be wildly productive there so that yeah it's not just the person's traits yep. like there's got to be a high level of confidence that the person can be productive like in the roles that you have and the roles that you need um but i think when when we're talking about these types of things there's also this adaptability there will always be roles mm-hmm. where um you're willing even in the most uh toughest like yeah wartime slash um, radical efficiency <laughs> mode there will always be roles where I can take a, a good smart competent person with a good attitude and and plug them here and here and they will just figure it out and get it done because there, there's there's always problems to be solved there's always important objectives or initiatives uh, that someone may not necessarily have the perfect experience in doing that in the past. And so therefore you are optimizing for, is this person good, uh, smart and capable? We'll talk about that because like the execution chops um, matters. That's maybe a good place to end on. But yeah, it's, it's not a clear binary, but I would say you are five to 10 X increasing your chances of being unlayoffable if you pass these bullet points that we just described then and then this next concept of like executing and and, and sort of pushing through to completion on, on plans, which we can touch on. Yeah, great. Um, one last thing I just wanted to, to throw in here is like for you personally, because I know really obviously that's what you can speak to best, like empirically for you, Mike, when you've gone and thought about do I need to lay off this person, does it ever come into your mind how kind of good to work with they are or sort of one of our values is obviously awesome to work with um you know low friction relationships and um you know being really sort of um engaging and enjoyable to work with also having some some levels of um radical candor etc like how do they come into this kind of discussion around layoffs yeah basically what happens is those things just become straight up table stakes so they're not table stakes that we're willing to give up on so we don't want to have anyone who, you know, doesn't pass that. So that test may get, you know, a little firmer, but that mm-hmm. alone wouldn't be a reason to pay for a seat. Um, yep. And I mean, just like to give you some context, right? Like the, the average salary within a startup's probably like fully unloaded costs. You know, let's say the person's on 90 grand to 100 odd grand you know, base salary, you know, with, with some potential like upside here or there. Um, so they add another 10, 20 odd percent, then you got to add 10% super, you got to add rounded up ballpark, add another 20% for payroll and super to the state government. Um, you know, you got to give them systems and tools and access and they have expenses and they like, before you know it, that, that average cost to the company is probably 150, 160 grand a year plus some. And so you go, you like, if you got, five, 10 people like that, then all of a sudden we're talking, you know, a mil plus, you know, a mil and a half per year coming out of your savings account. If, if you're not generate, if they're not tied directly to, um, keeping a customer, winning a customer or doing something critical to help the teams, win or keep a customer that, that really becomes, yeah, the rubric, frankly, um, yeah because you're really having to make sure that, okay, if I'm going to spend this, you know, fully loaded costs of 160 grand a year out of my savings account, um, like uh, is, is the company getting greater than 160 grand 
of of value in return. And so I think that's that that that's the when we talk about radical efficiency, that really becomes the sort of uh, core rubric um, is okay. And if and if we moved if if we took this person out of the picture, what would be the risk of us being able to win new customers or being able to delivering and, and value to current customers or what would be the risk of keeping customers, right? And and if you can go, oh, let's not make it the person now. But if we remove this role and it would have pretty minimal impact to that, they're kind of doing some back-end fluffing. And that, that fluffing may be important in some, some, some other areas. I mean, I'll use an example um, for us, which was like revenue operations, like you know, if we were if we were two three x scaling in the next six months, like revenue operations would be critical. Um, but it's sort of a little bit of a nice to have foundational piece. Does some really important work, but can't draw a straight line to that. Like if we remove that, like our customers won't notice. Like it will not materially impact us being able to win customers uh, or keep customers, and it's not doing critical work to help those two teams. So they're they're the types of. Um, you know, roles that, that come under pressure. And then obviously the second layer is then the person. And so then really the question then is everything we just talked about, performance values and those traits that we touched on is can I now then replug this person in to a critical role that's either creating or keeping um, customers? That's great. Um, and then you mentioned execution chops is maybe a, a piece to end on here. Yeah. Um, so I've been thinking about how to assess this, but you and I traded WhatsApps uh, yesterday, and um, there was a there was a drop ball on your side, and then I I gave you a bit of a uh, a bit of a bit of uncle advice here. Necessary. Do you, do you feel comfortable in in sharing yeah necessary uh, necessary uh, accountability call out? You don't have to share the specific situation, but yeah, maybe set the stage mm. and then. I can read out some of those points and then sort of go into this this meta point around like the the importance of executing and then yeah it's probably a good place to round it out. Yeah, certainly. Um, and it was uh, it was a great um, great bit of back and forward, um, but kind of the the list that you you were listing out earlier from necessary endings and and that example you kind of gave on like how to take great feedback that was something that was obviously on my mind. Um, you know how you can kind of yeah feel those emotions and all that kind of like you know the stuff that the human stuff that comes up around oh you drop this ball you know your shit um all that kind of stuff putting trying to put that aside and go like i'm really grateful for this feedback and as you also say like let's now make sure this problem doesn't become a pattern um so yeah it was like it was it was a fair call out on your side just around a, a commitment that we had and and that i didn't land and there was a number of things which could have kind of fallen into the bucket of excuses um but i think where you kind of reminded me was the end of the day that that was a commitment um and it wasn't communicated if i wasn't going to hit it so yeah that was that was that was useful um and and i think where we kind of took that was let's now think about how the next six 12 months should look in terms of what matters and i think really the punchline there was are you hitting your goals that we set for you um you know as they are tied to keeping a customer in my case um and you can kind of draw that line um and if you know anything else around that like your you know your knowledge your um your insights or, or resilience all those kind of things like they're actually the second fiddle to, to hitting your goals um so yeah it was, it was very worthwhile to hear that um, and appreciate the feedback as always 
Mike, but um, mm, I think it was mm. super relevant. Obviously, a lot of what we're chatting about today. Yeah, and the I mean, it was a very minor thing that you dropped the ball on. But what I wanted to do was sort of give uh, give the pad one some advice mm. to say, uh, hey, like if if you keep doing this or if I let this slide, um, then it's going to potentially lay a foundation that's going to snowball into a, a larger problem over time. And, yeah, I mean, the sort of punchline is uh, you being both Kai and you, the listener, um, like you will not be judged or rewarded on how good your goals are. Um, You will not be rewarded or judged on how much you know and and all the latest like growth mindset and principles right out, Diallo, (laughs) Dalio, um, and, you know, whatever sort of self-improvement porn uh, that you've consumed and that you know, like you won't be judged or rewarded on that. You won't even be judged or rewarded on your resilience or how good your mental game is and and how well you bounce back and how well you manage that feedback. You won't be judged or rewarded on how good is your um, ability to spot the problem and create an amazing plan to solve that problem. Uh, You won't be judged or rewarded on good intentions. Mm. Uh, Hey, like I really, really wanted to get that thing done or hey, like, you know, this you keep saying each week, hey, this is a priority and like they're your intentions. you're not judged or rewarded on any of those things. Um, they're factored in and they're looked at, but you are only judged and rewarded on your actual results. And your results are the output of pushing through on your commitments uh, to get those things done. And the reality is in a startup, there is close to an infinite number of tasks and things that could be done. And so therefore zeroing in on just a handful of I must like nail this like I'm going to be judged on this in a month's time in two weeks time at the end of this week you know whatever it may be and this is one of these things um now sometimes these things are small like they're just literally like um you know send the report on time whatever it may be but sometimes they're really significant that it's a hard problem to solve and you're a key part of that team and so, yeah, you are judged on on your results there. And, like, it's okay. You don't have to get a 10 out of 10 every time. Um, but certainly pushing through to completion, flagging where there's risks, um, putting your hand up where you need support. Hey, I'm, I know that thing was, like, we needed that thing done by Friday, so we're ready for the customer meeting on Monday. Heads up. All this stuff's come up. You know, is, is, is there any chance that it's okay if I get it? you know, to you first thing Monday morning um, and then someone may come back go, no, okay, well, then you're constantly reshuffling and then going, okay, I've got to make sure that I get that thing done. So you, you want to be known as a, as a doer and you want to be known as someone that is reliable in their ability to execute the things well. Um, and like when we think about this unlayoffable mm. point, you know, I would, I would summarize it as three things. One, clearly a player right so you've proven to be high on performance and high on values you know two you've got these traits that we talked about um which is taking on feedback and all these other elements the the bigger picture etc and then three you really want to be known as a doer um and and that i can rely on this person um to execute pragmatically well because this is one of the most important things that we get done. And, and to use like 
like a war analogy, you know, imagine you were responsible for, you know, the fuel line to a bunch of tanks to, you know, one, one side of the map, right? Like, you know, the Western side next to this river and, you know, I'm the, the general overseeing the overall thing. And I know that I've got 50 tanks there. You know, I know that there's a harbor where I've got like some submarines, you know, I've got like the Air Force doing this thing, da, 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 da. you know, and Kai, you're responsible for fuel line, uh, like, you know, that there's, there's diesel always able to get to these 50 odd tanks. Like that's your sole job. Then, you know, all I need an update on regularly is, hey, we're all green. Like it's all good. Like, hey, there's this kind of risk. Like we may, we've got this issue with this hose supplier, but we're on top of it. We'll let you know if that anything changes, but we're on top, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if all of a sudden another general asks you to do some stuff where, hey, we're sending, I don't know, a hundred guys on a night mission um, that's laying them in this winter forest, we need you to get them a bunch of like warmer jackets. Um, and you're like, yep, no worries. Like I'll do that. If you then, I don't know, something happens with the fuel line and then now you're busy with that and then you don't tell the guy that you're going to be late with figuring out the warm jackets, then someone else is all of a sudden going to drop 50 people into a forest and they're not going to, you know, be warm enough, right? So, okay, how do you manage these types of situations? Well, this is where you go back to me, like let's say the general before and say, hey, we're, we're, we're on top of the fuel line stuff. However, there is this risk. And if I'm not on top of it, there's a 50-50 chance the guys don't get fuel, you know, for a day or two next week. But I've been asked for this other thing because we're trying to drop 50 guys over there in that forest like are you okay with that level of risk on the fuel line and i get this thing done for the the winter jackets um sometimes you need help like in that prioritization but what you shouldn't do is try to figure it out and go oh do you know i should be able to get it all done and then you don't get it done or you don't get it done well because then all of a sudden there's a world of hurt when you know we're under attack and we're trying to take that hill and fucking half the tanks are running out of petrol like you never want to be in that situation right <laughs> um and so but that kind of weird little analogy off the top of the head is a good example of when you're working downstream it's you, you may not always see the big picture you know the big war war plan picture but it's really important that if you've been given a responsibility okay i need to make sure that there's always fuel available to these tanks then you need to be dependable for that or hey we need to figure out how to get winter jackets to these guys put your hand up but then also be clear about where the risks are you taking on that project um and and communicating that well and then pushing that through uh, and solving problems along the way and asking for support and help but i think that's that's like a, a practical way of just sort of thinking through how to kind of manage these things in reality because we don't work in these hey, here are your tasks and I've got nothing in my calendar and I never get an email or a phone call <laughs> from a customer. But there's always going to be sideways swipes that happen, right? And there's always going to be side things. And so how do you make sure that you, at the front and center every single day, you're like, is there consistent fuel available to this like tank line? Are there any risks today? No, we're on top of it. Okay, good. Now I can help out, you know, that guy with the winner thing, uh, et cetera. Excellent. That any reactions to that random uh, analogy? Yeah, I think it's I think it makes it visceral when you kind of drum up the stakes a bit, um, and you kind of you know you drop it into a life or death situation because obviously startups aren't um, pretty much all the time a sort of life and death, um, but war is right. Life and death of the company, though. Of the company, absolutely. Um, but um, but when you sort of go, oh, like if I don't get that done then these like real human life implications it's it's an extreme example but i think it's it's useful to illustrate right where those trade-offs can ultimately lie and as you say in a, in a work context it is life or death of the company and then if we land this on 
unlayoffable. Yep. If you've got someone who has always ensured that the fuel line is intact or when there were risks and things can go wrong, it's fine. Like, hey, General, we're not going to have fuel for two days in the next day or two because this unexpected thing happened. But here's the five-point plan that my entire team are scrambling on. Um, we figured this thing out. We figured that. We can probably get 30% of the supply by running around to these 10 local petrol you know, stations. Um, but you're going to have 30% less fuel in two days' time. And there's just, you know, that's the situation. There's nothing we can do about it. And they're just on top of their shit. And they're like, imagine if you worked with that person for two years and they also pushed back and said, hey, sorry, General, I can't get, I can't work on that you know, winter coats project because, you know, I've got this thing and we're down 30% on fuel supply and I've got to fix this. Um, but just imagine working with that type of person, yeah, with the values and the traits that I mentioned earlier. Imagine working with that person for two years versus working someone who's always got good intentions, got a good attitude, values aligned, everyone loves working mm. with them, you know, knows how, you know, knows how to fix fuel lines, works well with everyone but has been inconsistent over those mm -hmm. two years. Um, and there's been times where you were really stuck in a pickle. Okay, it was a training exercise, so no biggie. But in the back of your mind, you're like, ah, oh, like, uh, uh. And then now imagine you've got 100 of these people and then it's like, okay, you can only, you know, keep 70 or what have you. You know, who's going to be in the bucket of unlayoffable? Clearly the first person, right? Like they go straight to the top of the list. And so that just sort of paints a bit of a picture as to how important the you know, pushing through, um, you know, being known as a, as a great executor mm -hmm. um, and, and prioritizing the right things and communicating those risks because, you know, there, there are generals making those decisions and sometimes you don't always see the bigger picture, but those, those hypothetical examples are how the work that you do day to day, like how that gets interpreted and, and, the, and the ramifications of that. So, yeah, if you're, if you're the guy that, um, yeah, it's not about perfect projects because things will always go wrong, but if you explain it clearly and here's where the risks are or we're going to be behind, you know, this thing happened, um, you know, this is now what we're doing about it, you know, then, then you're, you're always going to be in the unlayoffable bucket. Yeah. So uber relevant at the moment. Um, glad we're having this conversation. Indeed. And, um, best of luck to everyone listening on making yourself unlawful. Yeah, if anything stood out or if you've got any questions, um, yeah, feel free to ping Kai or I. Uh, direct LinkedIn message is Love good. It. And we'll also factor that into the future episodes. Thank you. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Startup Jobs. This episode was made in collaboration with our friends at Early Work Academy, Australia's only tech sales bootcamp with a job guarantee. Applications are currently open for the next cohort. All the details are in the show notes. And finally, if something resonated with you in today's episode, we're posting episodes like this every week, including CEO memos straight from Michael. The best way to get those episodes on the day is by hitting the follow button on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time.